Hello and welcome, everyone. I'm Lauren Foster, Content Director at CFA Institute and host of the Take 15 series. The episode you're about to listen to was recorded live at our annual conference in London. Be sure to check out other live recordings at annual.cfainstitute.org backslash live. Thanks so much for listening. Hello, everyone. My name is Keith Waite. I'm head of CBD products at CFA Institute, and it's my great pleasure to introduce you to Mohamed El Arian, who is, amongst other things, the Chief Economic Advisor for Allianz. Welcome. It's my total pleasure to have you here, Mohamed. It's my pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much. I know you're speaking later on, but I wanted to ask a few questions. First of all, um, Foreign Policy named you one of the top 100 thinkers four years in a row, I believe, uh, which is a lot of thinking. So tell me, uh, what are the top three things on your mind at the moment with respect to the economy? So. With respect to the global economy, yeah. it is how unpredictable it has become, not only in the emerging world, but only in certain, also in some advanced economies. And I can give you a specific example. Vis-a-vis -vis the U.S. economy is what I call divergence, the extent to which the U.S. can continue to outpace other advanced economy, and we live in a non-correlated world, which is not the world we usually live in. And then the third issue is the extent to which politics contaminates economics. So those are my three big issues. Right. And when we come to your speech later on and when you're talking about opportunities and risks, can you kind of highlight where you see it without giving me some inside information as to what your speech is about? So I think the most important thing to realize is that, is that unthinkables are becoming realities. If I was sitting with you a few years ago and I would have told you that $10 trillion of bonds would be trading at negative yield, that you would lend your money and pay for the privilege of lending your money, you would mm -hmm. tell me that's crazy. Right. Yet that has happened. If I were to tell you Brexit would continue for almost three years in this no peace, no war, you'd say, no, that's, that's not going to happen. If I were to tell you that the US would become the most protectionist country in the world, you'd say, that's not right. The US is normally the guardian of a right. liberal system. So I think the critical thing is to understand that the world is very fluid, that it's no longer just what you think, but it's also how you think. And the difference between failure and success is going to come down to the how. And how do you manage that, you know, from an investment point of view, the risks of, of what we're seeing at the moment? How, do you, how would you suggest people manage that? So the most important thing for institutions to be open to different points of views, different mindsets. That's absolutely critical. Otherwise, you're going to miss. Right. And groupthink in this environment can be very dangerous. Um, you know, there's a lot of reading that has to be done. There's a lot of willingness to listen to views that make you uncomfortable. Diversity is absolutely critical. Cognitive diversity is critical. You don't get there without gender diversity, experience diversity, education diversity. And it's just creating a safe zone mm -hmm. for people to exchange ideas and say, what if German bonds trade at negative yields? And not say, oh, that's ridiculous. Right. Okay. So, so it's a little bit. And then you end up building scenarios and you become much more focused on scenario analyses and on the shapes of distributions rather than single points. Right. Now you say, you know, nobody would have expected a lot of what we're seeing today. Would you have expected it 10 years ago? What are the sort of things that you thought were going to happen? When... So my PIMCO colleagues and I did expect something different. That's right. why we called it the new normal. Right, right. We weren't right. going to go back, that this is, wasn't a reversion to the mean. Right. But I certainly didn't expect that, that we, 10, 11 years after the financial crisis, 
we'd be where we are now. Right, right. right. Um, so yeah, there's lots of things. I would have never predicted negative yields. Right, right. I would have never predicted that central banks would maintain these unconventional policies so far away from the global financial crisis. And out of all of the things that are happening right now, what is to you as an economist the most scary of all these things? I think the most scary is that the world is less predictable. I'll give you an example. Yeah. You think of the advanced economies as mature and relatively stable. You think of Germany as being the most stable economy. In January, the Bundesbank, the German central bank, was predicting 1.4% growth for this year. By April, they had revised it down to half a percent, from 1.4 to half a percent. That is an enormous revision for the current year. It's not even looking for, for the current year. And they themselves don't quite understand why the economy has slowed so much. And it's not surprising to me in the sense that we're getting disrupted from below yeah, yeah. by technological changes, and we're getting disrupted from above by this politics of anger. And the results of these two things is even the most stable parts of the world have become less stable. What about the whole populist movement? I mean, do you see that getting broader and broader throughout the world? Do you think there's a lot more traction for that? I do. I mean, part of the new normal, which was this notion that the economies would grow at a surprisingly low rate for a surprisingly long time. Mm. Part of that new normal is a sense that whatever benefits are coming, they're going to very few. Right. So anger builds up. Yeah. And once anger builds up, it's very difficult to counter. So what you will continue seeing is these three things, anti-establishment movements, where if you do, when the political center or any other establishment, mm. you're going to be increasingly threatened. Two, what I call the anti-expert opinion view, okay. that people are going to be questioning more and more the expert opinion. And there'll be now lots of people believing that they can have their own views, right? And that expert opinion no longer matters, which is, which is a problem, by the way. Mm. And then the third consequence of that is the politics of anger. Yes, that yes. People, when they are angry, as we saw with Brexit, they know what they don't want. They don't know what they want. Right. So it's very easy to dismantle something. Yeah. It becomes much harder to build something new. But is there anything good in that at all, in any of this? Is there anything good that can come out of this? Oh, there's lots of good that can come yeah. into it if you, if you use that as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. But you need leadership at every level. You need yeah. leadership at the government level, you need leadership at the corporate level, and you need leadership at the multilateral level. Yes. Moving China, tell me about China. What are your views on China and what's happening there now and how it's going to impact all of this? So I think China is in a very tricky position. And start with the 35,000 foot view. They're in the middle of what's called the middle income transition. Mm -hmm. That is the trickiest phase of economic development. In the last 60 years, only five countries have managed to navigate through that middle income transition. Which were and they? Which were they? Can you Taiwan, South Korea, oh, Hong right. Kong, small. Yeah, yeah. Nothing as complicated as China. Right. The big ones, the Brazils, the Argentinas have repeatedly failed at this transition. So always start with the notion that they were navigating this tricky transition. Until very recently, the global economy was a tailwind. It facilitated all the changes. Mm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they were able to navigate it and also reconcile external issues with internal issues. 
today, the global economy is a headwind, which complicates. So what you see them do is what other countries have done, which is go back to old policies in order to maintain economic stability, right. rather than press forward to what's needed. And that's what ultimately is a trap in the middle income transition, is that the minute things become much more uncertain mm -hmm. and your economy becomes harder to, to navigate, you're tempted to go back to what used to what, work, yeah. but no longer works and is inconsistent. And that's why you see an enormous amount of stimulus put in and relatively little stabilization has resulted. And are the trade wars with, with the US really going to have a, a negative impact, considerable negative impact? So it depends whether you think this tariff tit for tat is part of the journey or part of the destination. Right? Until very recently, it was viewed as part of the journey. That this is all negotiation, yeah. ultimately, the two most important, powerful countries in the world would come to an understanding, and this was just posturing. Now, there's a lot of questioning. Maybe it's not just part of the journey. Maybe these higher tariffs are part of the destination because national security issues are dominating economic issues. You know, there's a view in the US and there's a view in China, and the fear in China is that the US is, is using tariffs to contain China's economic growth. Yeah. Right, And how do you think they will retaliate? So I think that they are going to try to be measured. I think China understands that it's in its best interest not to get in a global trade war. China's nightmare is that it faces not just the U.S., mm -hmm. but Europe. The big surprise among a lot of people is why hasn't the U.S. tried harder to develop a common front with Europe? Yeah. Because Europe shares a lot of the grievances, intellectual property theft. Mm forced transfers of technology, competing with subsidized state owned enterprises. That's not just a US issue, that's the European issue too. That's a very good point. Let's move a little bit now. You have the most fascinating career that I've seen for a long, long time. Um, you know, you, you were born in New York, I understand, and, and Egyptian and French parents. You've lived, you know, in, around the world. You, you, you were at boarding school here. And then you went and, and started at the IMF, if I'm correct. So did you ever plan your career? I didn't plan. I have been extremely lucky in terms of having to make short-term decisions and then working out. So if you had asked me a year and a half before I joined the IMF, what would I be doing? I would told you I would have been an academic. All right. But then my father passed away suddenly. My mother had never worked. I had a seven-year-old sister. And the question became, who paid economists? And at the time, who paid a PhD economist? It was the international organization. So I went to the IMF. Best move I've ever done. Loved the work. Did you? Loved it, absolutely loved it. It's an incredible place. You get exposed to policy issues, yes. surrounded by smart people. Then when I was turning 40, I had never tried the, public, the private sector. So I thought I would come to London, take two years off um, unpaid leave from the fund and go back yeah. and experience the private sector. Because if I didn't experience it at 40, when would I experience it? Then I fell in love with it. Oh, wow. I thought it was really, really interesting. Again, I love being surrounded by smart people. Then PIMCO came along, and they are really, really smart, so I went there. So none of this was planned, and I've been extremely lucky to be able to combine different aspects in my career. Well, well tell, give me one idea of a key milestone in your career, some sort of turning point or inflection point in your career that really made a difference. So I was 13 years old. 13 years old. 13. Okay. We were living in Paris at the time. And we used to get four newspapers every day. 
and my father would insist that I would read all four. And I had no interest in reading one, let alone four. So I remember telling him, Dad, why do I need to read four? I'll read one. After all, the news is the news. And he said to me, no, you have to understand that the news can be interpreted differently by different people. And unless you read different points of views, you'll never develop an understanding of that's how things are. Wow, that's and important. that had a huge impact on me. It nice. started making me think a lot more about what we take for granted. That's and, a really and, 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 and that had a huge influence right. on me. I don't think we've got much time, so I'm going to ask you one question. Do you think Sam Darnold is the future of the Jets? Look, for those who don't know, okay, I've been supporting the Jets since 1968 and I've only won once and I've been humiliated. Um, I don't know, I hope, but, but I've been beaten up so much that I don't know anything anymore about the Jets. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mohammed. It's been great pleasure talking to you and, and good luck this afternoon. Thank My you so favorite. much. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.